You're listening to the Voice of Conservation podcast for the Face of Conservation with me, Matt Williams. Today, I'm speaking with Tiffany Francis, a nature writer, wildlife artist and blogger. Right. So um, I'm going to try and start every conversation with the same question, which is, was nature an important part of your childhood? Was it something that mattered to you growing up? Yes, it was definitely something that mattered to me growing up. Um, I, and it was a massive part of my childhood. I spent a lot of time, I live in the South Downs National Park and I've lived here all my life in the same town and it's a really beautiful area of the country. Um, And we used to spend all our weekends, all our free time out and about, dog walking, picking blackberries, that sort of thing. My granddad had, um, he lived nearby in a ancient woodland. He had a beautiful house and acres of this beautiful ancient woodland and he's just playing that. It's just amazing, this massive playground, you know, with, it was just amazing. And it had like tunnels of trees and I had a fairy hole at the bottom of the garden and he used to hide 20p in it and I always used to think it was the fairies, which was nice. Um, we used to make mud pies and swings and, you know, all the textbook kids stuff that kids love to do. It was it was awesome. I remember finding this amazing area of it where it was a bit derelict in one place and someone who had lived there before had sort of made this little garden with little statues and stuff in it. And he didn't really care about it and he just sort of left it to one side. So it was all overgrown and amazing and I just thought it was the most magical place. Just all covered in trees and insects and it was awesome. So yeah, and no, I've always had a really strong connection with nature all, all my life really since definitely since I can ever remember mm-hmm. um, and my mum was really keen on encouraging it as well she was probably the reason I love it so much she just used to she's because my my older sisters they liked going outdoors but they're not really into it as much as I am and I think my mum and I have this sort of connection I've definitely inherited from her and she used to really encourage me with all my bird watching everything she bought me little notebooks and you know that it was great I was a member of the wildlife explorers and Mm. yeah it was just great so I was very encouraged as well which was really nice that's really good isn't it to have like at least that encouragement or someone who buys you the stuff that you need yeah it it can be quite hard growing up in a family where you're the only one with that really particular interest (laughs) definitely it really is I mean even today you know I've got some members of my family that just don't they appreciate the outdoors they don't want it they don't want anything bad to happen to it but at the same time they don't really care Mm. Um, and they don't have any, you know, they don't have any interest in current issues or anything that needs protecting or anything. So even still, you know, I try and talk to them about, and you can just tell they don't really understand why I love it so much. But that doesn't matter. That's okay. My mum does. That's nice. And my brother-in-law's pretty great as well. He he sort of shares the same passion, which is really nice. Is this the brother-in-law who runs runs a farm? Yes. Locally? Yes. Yeah. I work. Yeah. So okay. he's. Um, He's sort of got a background in forestry and outdoor work and he just loves just loves being outdoors. Even if he has to spend an afternoon in the office at work sometimes, he gets really cranky because he just doesn't like being indoors. <laughs> so he's great. He's taught me loads about foraging and plants and trees and naming stuff and birds of prey. He just sort of told me how to identify loads of stuff, which has been just really great. So, yeah, he's wicked. <laughs> and it feels like also... Uh, you know, from diving into your writing over the past few days, which I've done, 
um, like one-on-one relationships with animals are quite important to you. Yeah. Were you the kind of kid who like kept like pet caterpillars or whatever and that sort of <laughs> yeah. thing, or like rescued animals? Yeah, I did actually. I remember having a pet woodlouse for quite a while, and then I remember it shed its skin one day and it freaked me out, so I put it in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did love that woodlouse. Yeah, no, I'm massive. I I do think I have quite a personal connection with with things. I I don't know. I'm. Uh, yeah especially at the farm I mean we've got I'm sort of I'm not in charge of the animals but I get given a lot of the responsibility because I love them so much um so yesterday I had to milk the goat because her udders are too big because all the spring grass has made her produce milk again so I had to go milk her and I don't know I just really really love them I think I really do love love the animals at the farm and I love wild animals obviously you can't have as much of a connection with wild animals and that's a good thing because Mm. they're wild but um I remember you know, growing up and having certain pigeons in the garden that I thought I, you know, knew really well. And it's just a really nice way to get to know them, I suppose. Yeah, nice. yeah. And um, I came across in, in your in your blog post in particular, I came across like uh, a mutual kind of admiration that you and I have for starlings. Yeah. Because as a kid, I always used to be taken on holidays to the South Coast, actually, to yeah. Dorset. And um, one of my earliest memories is of seeing a a flock of starlings um, on top of... It was actually on top of a Burger King restaurant. Yeah. Um, we always used to get taken there as, as a treat as kids when we were on holiday. And I remember watching them as we drove out of the car park and they were all, like, you know, whirring and clicking like, like you know, mechanical toy soldiers or something. Yeah. And then they all, like, took off together um, almost with a kind of, you know, one mind. Yeah, yeah. And your poem about it, you write about it in a very similar way than yeah. taking off from the pier together and slowly becoming this... What's the language you use? Like becoming a cloud of smoke in the air yeah um and holidays i think are really important as well because you know if you grow up somewhere beautiful like uh you know like this bit of the country there's lots of nature around you but holidays in particular provide a kind of a kind of escape and a, mm. a an opportunity with free time to connect with nature and you write you write a little bit about your trips to cornwall as a child as yeah, well which no. sound like they were important moments too yeah no we definitely i have so many great childhood memories i mean we you know we were sort of just a very typical family some years we went abroad but actually a lot of the time we just went on trips down to the southwest maybe a bit you know a bit further north but we had spent a lot of time in dorset and devon and cornwall um, and I just had such good memories. And Ireland, as so well, I used to go to Ireland sometimes. Mm. Um, and yeah, just most beautiful, quite hostile landscape sometimes, like the Bodmin Moor. And um, yeah, I just loved it. And being by the beach, because we've got beach around here, but it's a bit grim. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the nicest beach, it's okay. Um, but down towards the southwest, you know, just got like paradise beaches, they're just amazing. And going to places like, um, I don't know, like Lulworth Cove and all that and Lyme Regis and all those sort of places are just yeah they're very strong childhood memories very magical ones Mm, yeah well so another thing that comes through really strongly is that uh I feel like make-believe and magic is something that's quite important to you as well yeah no definitely well I've always had a very strong imagination yeah that's that's pretty obvious um yeah no I I I yeah definitely and it's weird because I have two older sisters who I love obviously very dearly, but um, we have a little bit of an age gap between us. So when I was still quite young, they'd sort of grown up a little bit and they would sort of humour me, but I didn't really have any proper, you know, close playmates as in they would enjoy the same games as I did at my at a young age. So often it was just playing, making up little games and making up um, things like that. And I, I used to, I remember going to the Jamaica Inn, that's the thing I wrote that about, that yeah. my blog about the Jamaica Inn and, and seeing all the um, 
they used to have this amazing taxidermy collection in there by Walter Potter. It's quite famous, and it's after I after I saw it, it's now been bought and dispersed, which is really sad. I think mm. someone's trying to collect them back up again. But when I was there, they were all housed in the Jamaica Inn in Bodmin, and which obviously Bodmin. Have you been to Bodmin? It's a pretty eerie place. Like it's a just a very desolate moor where smugglers used to be. You know. <laughs> It's really, it's amazing. Um, I read the, you know, there's a Daphne du Maurier novel about it. It's just an amazing place. But there's this amazing Jamaica in right in the middle of nowhere with nothing around it. And they had this taxidermy collection in there. And I remember being, I must have been really quite young because I don't remember it really clearly, but I just remember the horror of being in there and seeing all these horrible dead animals around me. <laughs> and now, now I have completely different opinions on taxidermy. But when you're little, just surrounded by all these, like, quite, you know, a lot of tropical ones, and they were um they were very they were all in tableaus so it was like kittens in a classroom and things like that and they were really eerie yeah really creepy <laughs> and I remember being young and just God it was just my imagination was just going mad and I remember my dad very kindly told me that they'd all died of natural causes <laughs> so it made me feel much better allaying um, your fears maybe horrifically yeah, like exactly. murdered for the purpose of being taxidermied exactly <laughs> but yeah no I do I feel I do feel like a real I do feel quite a sense of magic and I did a I did a module on my undergrad English degree mm-hmm. um, on romanticism which is that era of poetry it's like Wordsworth and Byron all the romantic poets who wrote a lot about nature and how it made them feel sort of the first time people really did that um, and they talk a lot about the sublime which mm-hmm. is that in it's just that feeling of being in awe of nature and it just sort of fills you up and I just really that's what I connect with most. That's what I'm always sort of aspiring to feel, I think. That's pretty magical. Really. There's a dark side to the sublime, though, as well, isn't there? Which also, I think, comes through a little bit in your in your reflections of and your remembering of your childhood and also your reflections on the world today. Yeah? Yeah. Would you care to expand <laughs> on that? <laughs> well, I think that... Um, well, I mean, so the sublime is, bo- is about being in awe of nature, yeah. but, you know, being in awe of... In a kind of... In a kind of... Um, what's the best way to describe it in a kind of you know this is something amazing but it's also something that's slightly dangerous kind of way yeah right? yeah yeah um and you talk about bodmin and you talk about the jamaica inn with its taxidermy mm. um and how you felt a little bit frightened as a child of you know these these dead animals and their tableau and then another of your blogs is about re-watching the never-ending story the yeah. film <laughs> um and how uh there's this like evil called the nothing yes. right yeah. Um, and it, you know, maybe you were thinking this as a child, or maybe you're you're looking back and you're reflecting on it. But it strikes me that you think a lot about the, um, you know, the problems with the world today, mm. and particularly, you know, the loss of the environment. Um, yeah. And you connect that quite a lot with some of the darker sides of fairy tales and magic and storytelling. Yeah. No, definitely. I am very much aware of the dark side of stuff. I'm sort of morbidly fascinated, I suppose. I feel like some people can be really optimistic. And I am optimistic. I am optimistic because otherwise it would just be, you know, too awful to live. But uh, I'm, I'm optimistic with, with the way we treat the natural world. And I feel like things are changing slowly. Um, but yeah, I suppose... Yeah, I I do find it quite dark. I, I, I quite like that. I quite like connecting it with that sort of very dark side of things because if you just see it as, I don't know, I find it more powerful to think of it as something quite dark and evil rather than sad. I don't know. I like that never-ending story with the nothing. I remember what, yeah, I watched it after, like, you know, after years of watching it as a child and it was only as an adult I was like, oh my God, this is really deep. Like, it's really, it's actually got a lot to say on the world and, um, yeah, I suppose I, I do. I just can't help feeling quite morbidly 
obsessed with how 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 low we can stoop and how much damage we can do. Mm. Um, I've just I've just one of my favourite books. You know, sometimes you get asked the question, "What book would you recommend to everyone you ever meet?" Mm. And mine's Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, which I read and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like we've done so much stuff, and it's just amazing how how I think it's all about communication. You know, we do we've done. We've done some bad things. I mean, I'm not saying we've. Sometimes it's just been we've not been educated enough, or we just you know, we've got too much science for our own good, sort of thing. Um, but I feel like, um, yeah, with that that book, I just found amazing because it just shows how easily we can be misled and how how easily we can do things without even realise we're doing things. It's not it's not as if we're treating the environment badly sometimes and we know we're doing it. Often we don't know we're doing it and it's just people just have no clue mm. because we just don't communicate about it enough. But yeah, yeah, I like the darkness though. <laughs> I think you're right about Silent Spring though. It's one of the first, or at least that I know of, one of the first kind of really lyrical expressions of that really hard scientific evidence. Yeah. And the two together work, just work really well and you can see why it was such a big, a big deal mm. as a book. Definitely, and I think it's so it's great to relate to because the first half is all about the environmental destruction, and if you don't care about that, which some people just don't, you just got to accept people don't care. Then the second half is all about how much it's damaging the human health. You know, it's about pesticides, obviously. Mm. But but I think the it doesn't even matter that it's about pesticides. I think that's one of the first books that just really showed that we're all connected to it all, and you can't just you can't just protect us and destroy that. Like it's all all connected. Um, and I, I love that I love the sense of us all being connected I find that I, I did an essay the other day and I wrote about Gaia theory by James Lovelock and I just just quite like it I just I find it a very nice not nice but a very good way to perceive the world that we're all connected up and even if it's not scientifically correct you know it's just all I think it's a good way to see life that you're not isolated it's all you know you've got to protect it all I suppose yeah <laughs> Can you say a little bit more about Gaia theory? Yeah, so so Gaia theory, um, very briefly, it's just um, the idea it was made in the sort of 60s and 70s, and it's just the idea that the world is one giant organism. So rather than it, you know, rather than just being like one little African ecosystem here, one little British ecosystem here, we're all sort of separate, it's that the world is one sort of breathing organism on its own. So everything, which makes sense, and it sort of keeps itself in balance, and everything that happens is all part of the balance, and it's just, yeah, the Earth is just one one big organism, which I quite like. quite like that idea. And even if it's, as you say, even if it's not necessarily scientifically 100% accurate, it's a great story yeah, to, represent, exactly. to represent the impacts that we're having in the way that we need to think about things. Definitely, and I think stories are key with this sort of thing because you can smash out as much science to people as you want and they'll if they want to switch off, they'll switch off because you're just telling them stuff that often just makes them feel a bit guilty and they, just, they don't want to hear it because people are in denial about stuff, which is a natural human response, I guess. But I find stories i think this is why i love writing so much because stories are such a great way to get people to care about stuff and to connect with stuff like i have a really strong memory of having the animals of farthing wood on video when i was younger and it was my favorite tape because i just it's only one like two episodes in the whole thing because videos couldn't contain much but it was and and it was the first episode where you know they're all fleeing because they've knocked down their old wood and they all they decide to go to this you know um, yeah they're not down Fardingwood and they've decided to go to this new 
White Deer Park or whatever it's called. Um, and I just, that stuck with me, you know? It's like, it's just a story with cartoon animals, but like that, that magic of that has just stuck with me way more than any newspaper article ever has or, you know, scientific paper or anything. That's what's really, that's what sort of takes me forward to try and try and help stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I would really like to be able to do myself, I suppose. I want to come back to that, actually, particularly to the animals of Farthing Wood. But um, <laughs> how much, as an English Lit student myself, I feel like, you know, um, I share quite a lot of the same experiences and uh, kind of journey through this as you. How much did studying English literature connect up with and then influence your connection to the natural world? Well, it's interesting, actually, you say that, because um, I guess at the beginning of university, I was sort of still in my teenage years where... I wasn't, I still loved nature, but I wasn't, I wasn't all about nature like I am now, because mm. I was still coming out of, you know, being drunk all the time, and <laughs> that, that was the best <laughs> thing ever, but um, by the time I finished uni, after doing that romanticism module, where I did all the poetry, um, by the time I finished uni, I, I don't know, I think I, I can't, I think I studied, um, I did H.G. Wells, I did a lot of H.G. Wells' of science fiction, which is the time machine in War of the Worlds, so they mm. were the two main ones I did. And they were not so much about nature, but they were all about man and man's rise and fall and how the planet basically, especially in the war of the time machine, the planet just carries on without us. You know, we're not, we're not actually as important as we think we are. And I loved that. I really loved that sense of like imperial decline and that we're actually really not that important. I don't know why. I just really like that. Um, it's very humbling. And then when I went on to do my master's, which I'm sort of just about to finish, um, I found myself a lot of my essays have just been about man and nature and our relationship. So um, the one I, I wrote one on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness and mm-hmm. the river and how the river and water in the novel just sort of transcends man. And, we, you know, it was there before us and it'll be there after us. And again, just that, that really de- depressing, I suppose, that quite morbid theme of just we're just not we're just another species that can go extinct. I just I find it quite nice, I suppose, that we're not we're not so powerful that we're bigger than that you know we're smaller than that and I like that um but yeah no I've definitely with my masters especially I've really sort of honed in on the man man and nature thing I'm just Mm. that's what I've really loved writing about really I think for me one of the things that literature and that fiction do is they kind of um because fiction is always by necessity kind of imagining something that's not necessarily real it gives you as the writer and as the reader license to imagine other possibilities. Mm. And that's where it becomes really powerful for imagining the impacts of or the potential outcomes of our impact on the natural world. Yeah. No, definitely. It's that scope. It's just, it is just infinite power. (laughs) You can just do whatever you want. As long as it's good enough to be in a book, you know, as long as people want to read it, it's, um, you're right. And I, another one, I just, I just finished The Drowned World by J.G. Ballard. just did an essay on that, which is, basically just about how the earth he predicted that the earth would go climate change would cause us to go into like a neo-triassic period so the whole world gets submerged by water everything melts and it's just tropical lagoons everywhere Mm. and again that's just about you know man just gets shifted up all the it's so hot everywhere they just all have to go up to iceland where it's the only cool place to live and they're all just sat there like oh we've uh we're not actually that that great because we're all stuck on this tiny island and the world is you know going on without us and we can't really survive in this but um yeah you're right though it's just amazing what you can actually imagine and i think that's what that's what really gets people hooked i think just the sort of possibilities of 
what the yeah what the mind can imagine and what what we imagine that humans are capable of I suppose but yeah um it's interesting that you say you know as long as it's good enough to be in a book actually <laughs> actually technology has kind of revolutionized things really in terms of publishing and you're one of the best examples that I've come across of a young person who's kind of you know um looking to get published in books but also just going ahead and self-publishing anyway mm. and through your blog reaching out to huge numbers of people actually yeah, it's fantastic yeah. and um maybe just stepping away for a moment from you know directly talk about nature and wildlife it's fascinating to read your blog posts through from like 20 2010 <laughs> yeah. through to the present day oh and... god it's <laughs> <laughs> just awful when i first started well then no. no they're really fun and they're really fascinating because um you start off with and it, th- these themes continue but there's a lot in there about in particular fashion and food and they're clearly <laughs> two things which you're really passionate about yeah yeah, well, I used to be really into fashion. I've got to say it's sort of taken a bit of a back burner. But when I was still at uni and college and, yeah, especially, for, I mean, food, I'm, yeah, I'll be passionate about till I die. But, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was sort of, yeah, it's a bit of a weird mixture of stuff, my blog from the beginning. But I do, it's a nice little time capture of my, of my mind. But, um, yeah, I've always been really big on food. Um, fashion, I went through quite a lot about ethical stuff as well. I was quite mm. into, you know, where to buy it, which I suppose is to do with, you know, the whole thing but um I was just got really keen on realizing how damaging the fashion industry was and you know getting not buying leather and all that sort of stuff so um yeah but it's been a bit of a mixture but that blog is really quite a mixture of stuff apart from fashion food but the food stuff I am really keen on because I'm vegetarian and I before I became vegetarian because I'm only vegetarian for a couple of years before I became vegetarian I used to just write about like local stuff and organic stuff mm. and um, I've always sort of been drawn towards nice food that doesn't hurt anyone you know just brings pleasure <laughs> but um but yeah and then you know I've ended up my first book is about food now so it's a bit of a weird weird circle really about food and nature, foraging, that's what, I'm, okay. that's what it's about. Is that what you're so, writing about? Yeah, that's what my book's about now. Okay. So, um, yeah, bizarrely, that's what it's come to. My first book is on foraging, which is food. That's really exciting because in one of your very first, or it might be your first post on your blog, <laughs> yeah. you say that your ambition is to become a writer and yeah. to publish a book. And it's really interesting, having gone from that very first post <laughs> back in 2010 to be speaking to you today when you're... You know, in the process of writing that book yeah. and getting it published, it's pretty pretty surreal actually. <laughs> so I, every day I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that's good. I'm writing a book. That's uh, that's amazing. I feel really lucky. I mean, the thing is, I, like I, I do sort of believe you have to make your own luck, and I, I've, I have been lucky because it just so happened that the right person happened to read the right blog post, and that was why I got it. But I think it's just about really putting yourself out there. Like I sort of just try and network and you know meet people and talk to people and share stuff as much as possible and I think you know you throw enough at the wall eventually it sticks so yeah yeah well your your blog is just this amazing mix (laughs) of experiences and events and it feels like about a decade's worth of stuff crammed into five years it's incredible and what what you just keep blogging and you just keep going and going and going yeah you know you're prolific with it and it's fantastic um but you also have some fantastic experiences along the way you meet you know, you have your internship at The Guardian, you yeah. meet you meet famous figures in the fashion world who give you advice on how to get a career in journalism, which is something that you, you start off thinking that you're interested in, and yeah. then later you have this realisation that maybe it's not quite for you. Yeah. But you're no, constantly trying throughout and just getting stuff out there. Yeah, that's the thing. I think you just can't say no to anything, really. You know, you've just got to... 
I, I have, and blogging's a weird industry, and it, when I first started it was, I mean, I'm not, it hasn't been that long, but it wasn't quite as massive as it is now, I just, I got in there just as it was beginning as well, so when I first started it was just all a bit random, and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't all this, 10 ways to start a blog, and all this sort of stuff, you know, it was, <laughs> you just sort of started writing stuff, and hope people would read it, and now it's, yeah, it's become massive, and I get, um, yeah, but it is a, <laughs> it's a weird mix of stuff. But you're right, it's just that, you know, you can't say no to stuff. And I've always always just tried to write about stuff that goes with the theme of my blog and that people will want to read. I've, I've turned down free stuff that doesn't go with it because it's just like, there's no point in having free stuff and selling your soul to write a rubbish blog post about it, you know. So I only ever accept free stuff that I would genuinely buy myself. And it's free, which is nice. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's just been great. And I've just had a really fun time writing it. And you're right, I do keep going. I sometimes have, you know, a month off because I just, you know, sometimes you're just like, shut up, just go away for a while. But, um, but yeah, generally it's, and it's not just, blogging is not just a great way to communicate. It's a great place to get you writing as well. Like everything I write goes on my blog. I, I did a blog post um, for the Wordsworth Trust about Byron and his pets. And I put that on my blog because I just wanted I would, it's nice to keep everything in one place and then it's like a portfolio of everything you've done so it's just it's got so many uses and it's just I mean you know hopefully people read it and you know think you're worth paying to write <laughs> that's, the, that's the aim well they clearly do because you seem to get a lot of people finding it and then offering you opportunities out of it which yeah. is great it's also one of the other ways that you seem to use it to me is um, kind of as a diary almost as a personal journal and you know we if you read your entire blog, we kind of trace things that are quite personal to you, quite emotional. You know, we get hints at, you know, the course of your love life, things yeah. like that. Like, how, do you, how do you get to the stage of feeling so comfortable writing that down on such a public thing as opposed to in a private book that you keep in a drawer? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I wouldn't say I'm massively over... I'm not an oversharer, no. so you're right. I do I do mention it, but I'm I'm also very aware of what I'm saying, and I think how will that sound to people? But it's a it's quite a nice feeling being able to share stuff sometimes. And I, and to be honest, I feel like it's been going so long now, and I've got quite a few readers who read every single post, and I just sort of feel like this is me, and you know, like sometimes these things are such a big part of my life that if I sort of eliminated it, it would feel a bit unnatural. Mm. so and while I while I try and stick to certain themes and certain ways of presenting myself sometimes I just feel like well I am actually feeling this and it'd be quite nice to just pop it in there yeah and you know it's, you're right it's, it is a bit like a journal and it's quite cathartic writing it it really is sometimes I just feel like you know you just smash it out and put it out there and it's sort of off your chest you just can move on with the rest of your day sort of thing it's quite nice <laughs> like a normal journal I suppose yeah I think I think uh, what struck me as well was that you also you write about this in one of your posts you you remain um, you remain quite positive and mm. you focus on the positive you don't necessarily deny deny the bad stuff or put it to one side but you um, in a way you use it to construct a story about your life which is a really positive thing and it's really great as a reader kind of being allowed into that story yeah. which is really fantastic uh, and there are kind of hints at you know some of the some of the slightly more difficult things and I think in the whole thing there's like one mention that your parents are divorced and that yeah, sort of thing yeah. and there's just traces of some of that stuff in there but you very much to me seem to use it as kind of you know using it almost as a way to figure out who you are and yeah. what you want to do yeah no I think that's a really good a really fair point I think 
you know, over the last however many years I've been writing it, I've certainly been through uni, been through so many different things, and it's actually really nice to have it there as a sort of a bit of a stability because, you know, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to work out who they are, especially not just personally, but like career-wise and what you want to do. And I'm quite, I don't like to label stuff, but I do quite like to know, I, I like to know where I'm going with stuff. I like to have just a general idea of where I'm headed. Um, I'm not, not one to just sort of just see what happens. I do quite like to just have a general um, direction to aim in. Um, so I think it is quite nice. You're right. I, I can sort of just work it out for myself. You know, I write something and I'm like, oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> it just needed me to type it out to realise what I was thinking about something. Mm. Um, and yeah, I do quite like to be positive. I, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite a positive person generally. And I do find it a bit difficult, um, you know, when you... See, I mean, everyone's different. It's hard to say. But I, I just find if you are positive then positive things happen. That sounds really cliche, but that is my general experience. If you just maintain positivity, you sort of draw positivity towards you without mm. being really hippie. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's just how I how I sort of go about things, I suppose. And it, it seems to work. I'm fairly happy most of the time. <laughs> so that's quite nice. <laughs> and it's a really kind of literal way of doing that thing of, you know, we write the stories of our own lives yeah. in a sense. It's about writing, you know, writing the story of who you are yeah which is, definitely as a reader is a is a great experience to you know a great journey to travel with you on if you yeah. like um there are some really like you, some amazing things happen to you um <laughs> you know fashion shows and all that sort of thing and you got you got invited to the baftas <laughs> yeah i did yeah <laughs> really random um that was because i'll tell you the exact story of how that happened um i used to work at waitrose when i was younger and um somebody else used to work at waitrose he got me into blogging and then about three years later he messaged me he's now the car the editor of a car magazine Audi invited him to the BAFTAs and he was like oh you know a bit about celebrities do you want to come with me that's literally it that's <laughs> how I got invited it was ridiculous and we went and it was amazing we got a limo then Audi limo all the way to London got absolutely smashed on champagne and then got came home about three o'clock in the morning and met loads of celebs I mean it's you know it was great <laughs> great time but again I mean, I can't really say how that happened. You know, I can't give any advice. It was just a really <laughs> lucky thing. I just said yes, I suppose. And just just about being being open to stuff, I guess. And just mm. saying yes. And I think eventually, you know, these things just sort of pop up. And it's quite fun. <laughs> and we get these kind of remarkable instances of, you know... And you're right, in a sense, everyone has those kind of crazy, remarkable things that happen to them in their lives. But then we also get, um, you know, the theme of wildlife comes through quite strongly in your blog and I think I think there's a turning point where it starts to come through much more strongly um mm. sort of about maybe two years ago or so but even even for the first few years you write kind of um they're little kind of vignettes little stories about <laughs> just animals that you encounter and this is why I wanted to bring it back to animals of farthing wood because as opposed to your traditional kind of nature writing which is quite descriptive in a sense a little bit i suppose like like the realists or the romantics mm. um what what i feel like you try to do is to turn the animals a little bit into characters and they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, some i was laughing out loud at some of your blog posts they're very very funny uh, the drunken robin for example that falls down the <laughs> chimney and falls into the mulled wine or whatever it is oh, yeah. um they're just hilarious and i wonder if is that is that a deliberate effort slightly on your part? Do you think that it's easier for us to, you know, to build a connection with wildlife and nature when we feel like they're characters we can relate to as opposed to just describing them as 
as realistically as possible. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think in a per- in an ideal world, I would, I would, you know, we'd all write, you know, classic nature writing, and people would be able to relate to that, and we wouldn't need to do any, you wouldn't need to anthropomorphize or anything like that. But I don't know. I I don't even really think I just can't help. I just really love animals, and I just like, you know, when you get to know certain animals, I just can't help just adding a little bit of made up made up character to them I just it's just something I think I just have to accept that I do because I just I find them just so interesting and I you know I've always had pets and I just you know at the farm like I said I just love all the animals I know they all have their amazing personalities and I just think I find it difficult to not give them a bit of my own just not to you know what's the word just sort of put a bit of myself into them I guess and mm. just make them come alive a bit in front of me they don't need that the wildlife's amazing as it is but I can't help just adding a little bit of animation to them I don't know it's weird but I really love doing that and I yeah I've had quite a positive response when I've done those silly little blog posts I think people yeah I guess people quite like quite like them but um yeah I think it's just something I have to accept that I, I just really like doing <laughs> Um, I know I can think of some a couple of people right in my head that would be like wildlife shouldn't be anthropomorphized you know it's wildlife it's wild but I don't know I think as long as people are engaging with wildlife it doesn't really matter how you portray them too much as long as they engage positively I guess but it was weird because when I think about my career as a nature writer which I hope will you know continue to go forward and flourish um, it's not like I want to do that in everything it's just what I'm doing now I just Really, I'd like to be, you know, taken really seriously and all the, you know, do all the classic stuff. But I I just really, I think, yeah, like I said, I think it's just something you have to accept that I just, I can't help just being a bit imaginative with it and just adding a bit mm. of silliness into it, I guess. <laughs> Is it also about a kind of respect thing for the animals? You know, that by imagining them with their own characters and personalities and these, you know, really hilarious and amusing stories that happen to them or that you imagine are happening to them. It's also about saying a little bit, you know, these are beings that we should respect almost as much as we respect other people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. And that's something I completely 100% feel. I, I, I just, I can't understand people who can't see animals or insects, anything. It's just other conscious beings. I just really can't understand how people can't see it. And like I said, I haven't been vegetarian all my life or anything. Mm. It's not to do with that because I just gave up because I just felt, you know, felt like it was the right thing to do. But when I when I used to eat meat, I still felt the same way. I just felt like, why why do people think think that we are superior? You know, these things can't don't have a right to live and exist in their own natural habitat. So maybe yeah, maybe it is that. Maybe I just feel like yeah, giving them a bit of a voice, I suppose. <laughs> Even yeah. if it's a bit of a silly voice, it's at least you know giving them a bit of a chance to show that they have their own lives and they have their own you know relationships and families and survival instincts and yeah so it's a way for people to see that because you make it more human and it's also um i get the feeling that you also find it a useful way stories stories about animals a useful way to explore other difficult themes and issues so you write this review of christopher nicholson's book about um the boy or the man who takes his elephant around yeah. the British Empire and sees the the devastating impacts of of the British Empire on some of the colonial countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, I get the impression that you're seeing animals as useful kind of narrators or you know vehicles to help us explore other difficult issues too. Yeah, vehicles is definitely the word. I think yeah, I think you're definitely right. I, I think I don't know why, but I I personally 
this is a personal thing, but I feel much more... If, if there's an animal in something, I, I do. I automatically empathise with the animal as well as the human, but I just it sort of brings it to life more more for me. And that book especially, yeah, it was a great way for you to understand it because um, I, suppose, I suppose it's just giving it a bit of a, a different angle. Like that's... Maybe it doesn't even matter that it's an animal. It's just it gives it a bit of a different angle. But I personally find it very easy to empathise with animals much more. I think I just... It's really bad. I sound like I really hate humans. I don't. But I just feel like I am... <laughs> I don't. I promise. But I just feel... I just want... I want to empathise with animals more than I want to empathise with humans, I think. I think... I'm just trying to figure it out as well. I feel the same way often when I read a story and the narrator or a key character is an animal. I suppose... In a way, they feel slightly more objective about human affairs than a human narrator or a character would because they're at one removed from it. Mm. And that, therefore, as a reader, makes you perhaps trust them a little bit more or able to empathise a little bit more with them. And for exploring a difficult issue like the impacts of the British Empire and colonialism, that that's really helpful. Yeah. Maybe it's that a little bit. And I also feel like... Um... This is probably a really silly thing to say, but I feel like there's no there's no evil in animals. Like... I think because we're such intelligent species, intelligent, I say, in quotation marks, because we're such an intelligent species, we, you know, we've, we've, we've gone beyond our evolutionary instincts in that, you know, we have way more than we need to survive. We, there's poor and rich people in the world when we could all just have the perfect amount we need to survive and we don't Mm. need to have this horrible um, division. And I know, obviously, it all comes from an instinct, really, but it's just gone too horribly wrong. Whereas with animals, I feel like they just do what they need to survive. They don't. They don't manipulate. They don't do anything. They just do exactly what their their brain tells them to do, to just reproduce and just carry on living. Mm. And I feel like I just trust that more. I try, There's no. There's no, like. There's no manipulation or, there's no, like I don't know. Trying to get something out of someone or, trying to. I don't know, there's just no evil in it. You know, you can just trust them because you know exactly what they want and you know exactly how an animal works and you can just trust them. I don't know, that sounds really silly, but that's just, I just, yeah, I just trust them, I suppose, more than I trust people. (laughs) Now, a talent for storytelling clearly runs in your family. Can you say a little bit more about your great, great, great uncle? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's brilliant. So um, my, my great, yeah, I think it's great, great uncle. He, my my mum was going through some family history stuff. She does family history, and she was going through some more documents from uh, from a great great uncle. And he basically, <laughs> she found this letter from my great great uncle to his mum, detailing this amazing story of how he had been going to Australia to visit, um, and he had been shipwrecked on an island for ten years or something like that for ten years, and he he went into this amazing elaborate story about how there were cannibals there, and one of the cannibals had tried to make him marry one of their daughters, and he'd had to live in this camp with these people for years, like being married to one of the daughters. He ends up and, with two children. Yeah, he right? ends up with two children. <laughs> like this amazingly elaborate story about all these pe- these tribes people that live there. And um, this is all sent him. This is like, you know, this is why I haven't been in touch for 10 years, blah, blah, blah. And then basically my mum like did a bit of a nosy round and it turns out that he'd actually just gone to Australia as a convict. <laughs> so he'd been sent there as a prisoner for committing a crime, but he didn't want to tell his mum that he'd committed a crime. So instead of telling her that he'd just gone to prison for 10 years, he made up this amazing story about being shipwrecked on an island for 10 years. 
So I love that. I I literally read that and I was like, what a great guy. Like, that's just awesome. I forgive him all his sins. That's just great. And, he, you know, he's he's clearly got, very similarly to you, this incredible imagination. He describes all the detail, you know. He talks about how he was repairing this, like, little boat that yeah. he hid away on the beach from the tribe so as he could escape from them one day. And it's just all in there. It's, yeah. fant- it's a fantastic story contained in this one this one letter it's absolutely amazing yeah no i love it and i, I do like to think you know i've got a bit of that from him maybe but yeah it's in, it's in the family and it's just hilarious also a little bit easy to lie but we'll pass by that it's fine <laughs> <laughs> but no it's great um one of the things that starts to come through a lot more over over the course of time in your blog is your art and your illustration um can you just say a little bit, bit more about that and why it's important to you? And also why, um, in particular, you focus on animals for that? I, th- I think you basically just draw animals, Yeah, right? I just draw animals, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I did... I've always really liked art. I did art for A-level. That was the most I qualified. Um, and then I sort of left it for a while. I didn't really do anything at university because I was just doing English. And then after after... After I graduated, I just sort of started drawing little bits and bobs again. And I just remembered how much I loved it. Um, and I started making designs for greetings cards and just sort of made a few little bits here and there and just really enjoyed just selling them and, and mainly actually illustrating some of my own work with them as well. That's what I really love. Um, because actually I sort of stopped doing the selling thing because I couldn't write and draw in equal measure, like, well enough, because I just didn't have the time. Mm. had to pick one, and I picked writing because I love writing so much. So art is now just a hobby. But I really do love illustrating my own work, mm-hmm. and there'll be hopefully maybe some illustrations in my book because mm-hmm. they've let me put some in. Um, but, yeah, why I picked wildlife, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I suppose I've just always been drawn to it. I just love drawing animals. Um, I've never been able to draw people, ever. <laughs> That's just something I have to give up on. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't, I, for our A-level and GCC, I did some landscapes and some still life and all that sort of stuff. But I just love, I love, I suppose it's the same thing. I love being able to give animals a bit of character. In fact, now you're saying it, I can see why there's, there's sort of similarities in my writing and my drawing. I just, I like taking it because they're never, they are realistic. I would, you know, you can see that a, a fox I've drawn is a, clearly a fox, but I've always, I've always been a bit liberal with, you know, the proportions or whatever, just to give them a little bit more of a attitude, I suppose. Give them a bit of character and a bit, make them look like they feel something, which I really love doing. Mm. Um, yeah, I just really love drawing, really love drawing animals. I just find it really, yeah, I just really enjoy it, I suppose. And do you think art and painting and illustration have that same power as writing and storytelling to connect other people to nature too yeah absolutely and I think in a lot of ways art art can reach so many more people because art is instant you can look at you can look at something and immediately feel something by looking at it you know you don't have to go through the effort of reading it um so I feel like art reaches more people um you know I've I've had a lot more it's weird I've had with with my writing and my art I've had different kinds of success because with my art it's gone to people who aren't necessarily interested in wildlife. They just like the pictures and they think they're cute or funny or they're nice or beautiful. And they just like them just from their human experience of looking at a nice thing. Whereas my writing, actually, it's mainly people who are sort of already interested in nature that like reading it, which is fine. I accept that. It's all right. Um, but there's a real difference there between art and writing, I feel. Um which I, you know, probably other people have experienced differently, but that's just my own experiences. I seem seem to 
please more people with my drawings. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the great things about your blog and about this kind of shift that we see in it over the five or so years that you've been writing it is that you start off focusing on fashion and on food and on, you know, also the day-to-day -day experiences of your life. And you clearly build up a very dedicated and fairly wide readership through that. And then you start to drop in the stuff about the environment and wildlife. Mm. And it comes across, you know, you are already coming across to the readers who have been reading your blog for a while as someone very trustworthy. And it doesn't come across as having any kind of ulterior motive. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about your blog is that you build up this readership probably in part of people who don't think much about the environment. But then you start just to drip that in a little bit, which for me just worked really really well oh cool i'm glad <laughs> yeah no you might be right i think maybe i mean not something i did on purpose at all it literally was just the organic things i was interested yeah. in just you know i just realized how much i love nature and wildlife and how that was really all i wanted to write about but um but yeah i'm glad it came i'm, I'm glad i'm glad it came that way because um yeah i suppose you're right it's it's i wasn't trying to you know preach to them or preach to my readers or even when i did my blog post coming out as a vegetarian <laughs> i um you know try try to be as non-preachy as possible it's kind of hard when you explain to people why but um but yeah i guess i guess i did and it's nice that it sort of reflected that growth that i had um and you know my own personal development i didn't i've never tried to present anything in my blog other than what i really feel so, you know, I don't plan, oh, at this point I'm going to be more like this and at this point I'm going to be more like this. I just sort of write whatever I want to write. And I suppose, yeah, naturally it just comes out that these little things I like drip more in and that's all I write about now, really. But yeah. people seem to not mind. <laughs> They've been all right with it. I'm still getting followers, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of, the most, um, one of the most powerful moments in it, actually, and one of the most emotional posts that made me feel quite emotional as well was when you write about um, starting your master's, moving to London, and then realising that London really isn't for you, mm. and then um, moving back home. And, um, yeah, it's just, I feel like it's one of the points where you open up most, and it's really brave of you to write, you know, this just wasn't right for me, you know, to almost say, you know, I got this wrong, but I'm going to move on mm. and move back home. And reconnect with this place, which was really important to my original love of wildlife. And I feel like for many people, a connection to place and stability is really important for their love of nature. But um, yeah, maybe if you could just say a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, no, definitely. The whole London thing was one of, one of those big sort of moments in my life where, um, yeah, I you're right. I do open up quite a lot about that because I, I've been living in Bristol before that because that's where I went to uni. And I decided to do my master's and I thought, well, everyone always says the London thing's amazing. I'll go to London. I might as well go there while I'm doing it. And um, I lived with a boyfriend. So we managed to sort of, you know, scrimp and li live on not much. But I just, I tried really hard to enjoy it. I was there for about seven months. And I, I volunteered once a week with the London Wildlife Trust just to get a bit of fresh air. This really nice ancient woodland. And um, yeah, I just, I just sort of realised it really wasn't for me. And I think it was okay. Like, it's okay. It's quite a big thing to say, I don't like living in London. You know, everyone's like, but it's yeah. London. It's so great. <laughs> Why? Because you not love London. And I love going to London. Like, because when I moved home, I still had to go there once a week to do my seminars. And I loved that. It was great. I was like, get my coffee, go on the train to London, go on the tube. And I, for some reason, then it was brought back to life again. I absolutely loved it. But um, 
but yeah, living there, it, it just really wasn't for me. I'm, I just, and I think maybe that was one of the moments where I really realised how much I loved the outdoors and the countryside, um, and how how much I loved it. You know, because I always knew I loved it, but it really was a big part of me. Um, and I came home to here, um, or just down the road where my parents live, and it was just like I just felt so at peace and just so happy that I'd made that decision. Um, and it was just, it, yeah, I've just been the happiest I've ever been really since I moved home. Yeah. Which is really nice. Um, yeah. The most productive I've ever been really as well, so that's good. And I feel like it, uh, maybe you don't actually say this explicitly, but I feel like you also found it really useful in terms of kind of, re- particularly after having been in Bristol for, for a few years, of kind of re-establishing your contacts with your family. And, yeah. Um, you write a lot more about your mum than your dad in your blogs but I feel like your your relationship with your mum is a really good one and there's yeah. still a really strong connection around the theme of nature there. yeah no definitely I don't see my dad that much that's yeah. probably why um but yeah no my mum <laughs> yeah my mum's great she's hilarious and she just she is she's the one that gets me into it all she's obsessed with hedgehogs at the moment she's just really like a little bit crazy um no she's great she's you know she tweets Hugh Warwick all the time on Twitter <laughs> she really likes him so yeah no yeah I'm really close and I'm also really close with my sister and my brother-in-law mm. who live just in Petersfield as well my other sister's in Norway now which is great for trips but I didn't see that much um and they've just had a baby so I've now got a niece as well right so it's pretty much the whole package really I just wouldn't really want to be anywhere else and yeah. yeah, it is the family connection. I just really love just the family person, I guess, and just like being here with them. Um, yeah, it's nice. And I think for me, actually, that that encapsulates one of the main messages of your blog, which is whether it be whether it be food or whether it be you know different types of teas or whether it be <laughs> um, you know vintage secondhand amazing clothes with Aztec prints on them. <laughs> um, and there's a good blog post about that, which is very funny. <laughs> uh, the, one of the key messages really is that it's all about simple pleasures. And that's one of the things that wildlife provides. Yeah. And I think the most, um, as well as that, that post about, you know, moving away from London, the most memorable post for me or the one that has the biggest moment of realisation in it. And you don't make a big deal out of it. It's just one sentence in a much wider post. But you say that you've realised that ambition is not the most important thing what is is being happy yeah definitely I've really really come to realize that I I remember all through uni all through college I was just like oh I've got to be you know I'm going to be a journalist I'm going to be an academic I'm going to do this and I'm going to be the best one ever and it's going to be you know and that was all I focused on just you know just being these things that sounded really good and you know would have probably paid well and well not journalism but um but yeah and and I was really into that because you know you surround I went to a private school and um at uni they're just all very much you know it's great it's, they encourage you and you're very encouraged all the time to but you're also given these you're given these goals of what you should think you should want and your these goals are money and a mortgage and you know all these things and that's that's happiness right there you know all this stability and um, for our generation are a lot harder to retain yeah, than so they were a couple harder. of decades ago right exactly um Exactly. And, you know, it's impossible. It's so hard to get anything, to get a house, to get anything. And I just, I just sort of, over the last couple of years, I think it's been definitely since I've moved home, um, I've just sort of had this gradual epiphany that, that none of that stuff is really actually what it's about. And I'm, I just, I just 
you know, I don't know. I I feel like I've slowed down and I've just sort of learnt to absorb everything and just appreciate everything. Um, like we've got an allotment now and I just love that I go down to the allotment and just like potter around there and make like nettle beer and just do all these little things that you know my sister's like why are you doing that I like, don't you want to go do something else I'm like no I just want to just want to enjoy being alive I guess without sounding really cliche again but um yeah I just I just like simple simple pleasures now just being happy and just talking to people and making time to socialize and making time to just chill out and not not be obsessed with your you know earning loads of money or being at this point by the time you're this age that's just such an unhealthy restriction to place on yourself and I just learned a lot more to just go with how life is sort of taking you and just sort of you know you can move the rudder a bit but generally you just <laughs> gotta go go where you go really there's something very freeing about it isn't there about yeah. letting go a little bit of those expectations that either other people or you place place on yourself I think yeah absolutely and especially like I said you know I went to private school which was a great school and I'm really happy I went and I was very grateful to you know my parents paying for it but I I see a lot of people I went to school with on Facebook who are you know doing they're economists or they're you know they're doing a I'm, I'm sure they're you know I hope they're happy but they're they're doing these jobs that pay very well and they're you know they're really good like nine to five jobs living in London they do all this stuff and and I really do hope they're happy but I just know that that's not that's not what I want for my life I just don't you know I, that's just yeah it's not what I want and I've realized and since I've realized that I've just been so much more content it's just lovely sense of peace and yeah it's really liberating you're right you don't have anything to lose it's just like everything to gain I suppose yeah nice um one of the other really strong changes that comes through in your blog is that the environment and a very political view on the environment starts to come through a lot more in the past yeah in the past couple of years um could you say a little bit more about that and and why why has that connection become more important to you yeah I mean I guess at uni you're sort of quite immersed in politics but you know you've got you you can't really go around a corner without somebody telling you their political opinion, which is fine. That's what uni's there for, you know, a big hot pot of ideas. Um, and then since being at uni and since being able to vote, I just sort of tried to take an interest, really, and I sort of realised how I just don't really like um, this two-horse race of politics, without getting too much into my polit- political opinion. Mm. I'm a big Green Party supporter, really love the Greens, Um and then Labour second. But um, I, yeah, I don't know, I just, I'm a bit sick of this whole, remember, this constant thing you have. When I when I voted Green, I did a little bit of leafleting. I told, you know, told some members of family, and they're like, why are you voting for them? They're not going to win. It's like, well, why on earth should you just vote for the person? You know, that's not the point of voting, is it? You should, and that, that sort of narrow-mindedness has really stuck with me, and it'd just be really great if we could realise that actually there's more than two options in the world <laughs> and actually the world can be a hell of a lot nicer than it is now um, and you just have to be a bit brave and not just go with what it's always been. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm quite quite liberal, I would say, <laughs> pretty liberal um, and I just want, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not bothered about, you know, the rich getting richer or anything like that. I think there's plenty of of stuff in the world for us all to have a fair share and I just think people are, are terrified of losing losing the security of you know they have all this excess money and they have all these material things and people are terrified of losing it when actually it's fine not to have all this material stuff and that means that someone else can have food you know it's just yeah. 
I don't know. But yeah, liberal, I would conclude. <laughs> and do you think, you know, not any particular politi- political party, but do you think that the political system, maybe let's just restrict it to the UK for the time being, mm. has the power to really help the natural world and wildlife? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, I definitely think so. I mean, people power is obviously really important, but everything comes down to the way that the legal, the legal way that we do stuff. And for this is a really good example. People, I know people who really don't care about recycling. They just don't care. But if they were made to care by getting a fine or you know something like that, or they were just made to make their lifestyle fit into recycling by having enforced legislation, then it doesn't matter if they don't. They still don't care about recycling, but they're recycling, you know. Yeah. And that's the way I, I like like to see it. And I, I think the government has a lot to answer for for just you know. Just giving in to the rich and just letting certain things slide and not giving enough funding to wildlife crime and all that sort of thing. And, you know, they're just way too focused on on economy, and which is important. I'm not naive. It's important, but they're just way too focused on that and not enough on, you know, keeping the country beautiful for the historic reasons that it's been so beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think the government's definitely has a massive part to play and they need to sort of be made to play that part because they don't do it willingly, in my opinion. History is another of the themes that comes through really strongly in your writing and you have really strong connections in particular, it seems to me, to Hardy and to Jane Austen as Mm. well. Um, (laughs) And for me, that's something that I think about a lot as well is that the nature and the wildlife that we enjoy today very much depends upon the history of ecologists campaigners and writers Mm. who have in different ways worked to protect it in previous decades or centuries um and you know today is a really important moment for making sure that happens again for future generations it you're part of one of the networks you're part of is the kind of youth movement around nature in the uk do you, do you feel like that some of the political challenges of today, the environment, but also others, are particularly pertinent to to our generation, to millennials, basically? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely do. I think we've, you know, people say say all these horrible things about millennials are lazy and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's very difficult for us now to 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 do anything. You know, we we can't. It's very difficult to get a house to do anything to have that stability that you need to then be able to make make a difference to the world you can't you know and I I do I feel like I feel very positive about our generation especially being part of these um the group I'm part of um I feel like you know you, you meet all these people who have the same passion and drive as you and it's just so inspiring and so motivating because you feel like oh you know we're not alone like we have enough people to make a difference we just have to sort of go about it the right way um but yeah, no, I, I, it's hard, it's hard because, you know, you don't want to be all woe as me, like, oh, the older generations have screwed us over, but it's just, we've got a different, a completely different game to play, like, to, than, than our parents did. They, they can't compare because it's just so different the way that we have to live our lives now. You know, the, it's different when we have kids, it's different when you can eventually afford a house, it's different, you know, it's the balance between working and volunteering to be able to get a job that you really love, and it's just really difficult, and I think... You know, they had their own set of difficulties and now we have a completely different set, I think. And it's mm. just a very... I don't think we can compare the two. I think you've got to completely take a fresh perspective on how to solve the problems now, not just basing it on the near past. Mm. I think it's just too different. What do you think that fresh perspective needs to look like? Um, 
Good question. Uh, I don't know, I suppose... Tough question. It is a tough question. <laughs> um, I mean, from talking to, from, to other young people, they're very optimistic. It's all very much about... Um, I mean, the so- social media has been amazing and the internet, that's that's an amazing way to get, get things going. But I don't know, I suppose, like I said with the politics thing, I think mean, just people have to realise that the world can change and it doesn't have to be... I mean, Britain's a terrible example because, you know, we're so used to this traditional way that Britain's been run for ages. Oh, great Britain, it's all great. And it's great, but, you know, it's also okay to change things. And Britain can still be an amazing country to live in. And the world can be amazing when you have different systems. And people need to stop being so afraid of letting go of, you know, oh, but what if this happens? What if this, What if we vote for... What if we vote for somebody else and it all goes... Oh, it's like, well, it can't be much worse than it is now. <laughs> you know, like, let's just give it a bit of a go. Um... So yeah, I, I suppose it's just being a bit braver. That's what I think it's about. Just being braver, not listening to older generation, not not listening to them, but not letting them sort of put us off stuff because mm. that's the way, you know, that's the way that ideas get quashed by being told you're young and naive and you know you, you don't understand. You're when you're older, you'll understand. And I think it's really important to not not really think about that and just focus on what you think will work and you know aim high. Why not? Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't lead to dialogue in either direction, does it? No. Either, you know, older generations saying you don't know what you're talking about or younger, younger people ignoring what they're saying. I think more of a dialogue be- between generations. And that's one of the things that, you know, the Youth Nature organisation, mm. the Focus on Nature, great. Um, works on is creating that dialogue between, between generations. Um, so, uh, just... Uh, just drawing this back to wildlife a little bit. What are, what have been some of your favourite wildlife moments? What's some of your, of your favourite wildlife in this bit of England? What What are some of the wildlife experiences you want to have this year? Um, okay. Well, one of my favourite moments I've ever had. I went on a, um, a night jar walk. That was probably when you said, you know, I like the magic of stuff. Mm. That was one of the most magical evenings of my life. I think I went to Iping Common in Sussex. Um, just it's another wildlife trust place and they just had this little night jar walk and my mum was like oh let's go along see what it's like you know and um, it was it was beautiful because it was just the evening it was just starting to come into the evening it was like you know sometime in the summer or autumn Um, and and we started going for this walk and you know finding bats and finding some glow worms and it was all just really lovely and then the night jar started chirring and it's just like we were all just like oh my god what's that I never really heard one before and I was like, what is that? It sounded like a frog. <laughs> and they're like, that's a night jar. I was like, oh, wow. And, you know, we just carried on walking around. It's just beautiful because it just got darker and darker. And we just, it was completely silent apart from these night jars just chirring. And you couldn't really, it was amazing because everywhere you looked, it sounded like they were coming from a different direction. You were just immersed in this beautiful sound of night jars. And, you know, we just got home and it was just, it was just amazing. That was probably sublime. I would call that a sublime evening. That was amazing. Um, but there's loads, so much nice wildlife around here. Like we get, we get lovely stuff. We get all the, um, I see adders all the time. I love adders. I'm really mm. obsessed with adders because we get them at the farm and we get them, you know, people always leaving signs out, don't tread on the adders. Um, and I, I go around sometimes in the morning and cause we have yellow hammers all in the hedge along the back of the farm. And I always go and try and listen to them. And if you go really quietly and don't tread too loudly, you see all the adders coiled up in the sunshine and the logs, just like having a great time in the morning. Um, I love that. That's that's awesome. But one thing I'm really keen to see this year, because I've never seen one, is a hen harrier. 
I've never seen oh, a Hen okay. Harrier, and I'm quite into the whole Hen Harrier campaigning stuff. I love all that. I'm going to the Hen Harrier Day. Um, but yeah, I, I just always, I would love to see one. I've never seen one, and I really love Birds of Prey. Um, and I, yeah, I'm hoping I will see one. I've got a couple of people who have promised me they'll, they'll take me somewhere to show me one. So hopefully I will see one this year. Um, that'll be great. And what are your aspirations for your, for your writing and for your art? And what do you hope to, what do you hope to kind of, what are your aims for it? So what do you hope to change in the world for doing it in the future? That's a really good question. I, I think it's all about just making people care, not forcing them to care, but actually inspiring people enough to care on their own. Um, for example, I said a lot of my writing is read by people who already love nature. Mm. And the, I think the most satisfying thing is if you can get if somebody, you know, reads a book I've written and they don't really normally care about nature and they suddenly realise how important it is. And, you know, I'm not saying they'll be transformed overnight, but they just learn to care about it and they sort of perhaps learn why 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 you know all these green activists actually have a point and you know it's not just all hysteria we actually really need to protect protect it all because you know without them we can't survive um and i think yeah with my career i i really want to do lots of prose um write some really some nice good uh, nature <laughs> clearly my descriptive language is great <laughs> i want to write some nice nature writing um and yeah i would like to hopefully publish more books that's my ambition um and I would love to just develop my style more and, yeah, just, just sort of write it so evocatively that people want to help protect it. I suppose that's the best way I can really contribute because being part of that youth network is that, you know, I see so many ecologists and biologists who are on the ground helping, literally hands-on, just really helping to protect stuff. And I don't feel, you know, it's not like I feel bad that I'm not doing that, but I really want to find a way that I can be just as just as productive and just and make such make as as much of a difference as they can and you just have to use the skills you have really <laughs> and these are the skills I have so yeah <laughs> and we should look out for your first published book yes in the near future yes it's due spring 2018 so a little while but um I've got to write it first um and that's yeah published by Bloomsbury then so Amazing. yeah it. thank you <laughs> And did you have any of your own writing, your poetry that I you wanted do. to share? Yeah, no worries. Hang on, I'll just find it. Um, One of the nice things is that you pepper your blog a little bit more recently with, with some of your poems. Yeah, that's why I quite... I just got... It was a bit scary writing publishing a poem, actually. Mm, but yeah. once you do it, it's very nice. And, you know, people are always nice. You know, the vast majority of... People reading my blog are very nice people. I don't, I don't really get hit by trolls. They, they don't really target me. Oh, you nature writer, you. Um, you with your tea loving. No, how dare you. Um, yeah, I can read a bit. I wrote about um, a piece about spring at the farm where I work. Mm. So the farm where I work is an ancient farm. We have Iron Age roundhouses and stuff. So that is why that's mentioned in here. But yeah, would you like me to read it? Yeah, please. It is March and a Hampshire sun meanders quietly over the crest of Butzer Hill in Chalton. Dawn brings a murky light not yet unburdened from the mists of winter, but the South Downs are swept by the splendour of spring as morning arrives and the song thrush begins his opera. Nestled in downland and protected from solent winds, an ancient farm lies across the landscape, a cluster of round houses and prehistoric dwellings all that remain of Britain's past. These little houses form witch-hat silhouettes against the sun, 
and soak up the warmth like baking bread. It will probably rain in an hour. In the half-light, a shadow stirs on the hillside. New lambs seem to spring from the earth overnight like woolly mushrooms. They are spindly, feeble things, protected by haughty mothers overindulgent with warm milk. These are the latest descendants of an ancient breed called Manx Lockton, bringing meat and wool to mankind since the Iron Age. Both rams and ewes grow up to six coiled horns on their heads, left to wander the thistled fields and face salted gales from the sea. Today this lamb huddles close to its flock. Three nights ago a more fragile newborn was taken to the woodlands nearby, natural sustenance for a vixen and her bundle of cubs. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I think that epitomises one of the things that I find in a lot of your poetry, which is that you you have a way of going from the very, very small and the individual creature right out to the kind of great scope of the entire landscape which yeah. which they sit within. And also of nesting your your poem and the subject of your poem within within a much greater time expanse as well and connecting it to to history in a way that actually um, one of my favourite conservation writers does, Aldo Leopold. Oh, yeah. When he, in Sand County Almanac, he writes about the cranes bugling and landing on the marsh and beneath their feet are the kind of layers of history yeah. gone by. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. Like I said earlier, you know, anything that puts us in perspective, I love mm. that. I love seeing the earth as a whole and, you know, time as a whole. And I just, yeah, I like, I like that. I find it humbling and it's also... Yeah, I think I just I just really enjoy putting that in my work, really. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. That's all right. Is there anything else that I haven't asked or that you want to say? No, I don't think so. You've been pretty thorough. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think one thing I will say is that for any young people that, you know, get a bit depressed by the doom and gloom of the world and anyone who really loves wildlife and I think it's just really important to just keep sharing your passion for it and you know, it's so easy to meet other people who love it. And I think it's very powerful when people join together. And I think that's the way forward. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Thanks. That's all right. Okay. Um, do you, so do you mind if I publish that in, in full? You may publish that in full. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't need to record that bit. I'm just asking. <laughs> <laughs>